Hi everyone, welcome back to the OrthoBullets podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of melanoma found under the pathology section at orthobullets.com. Let's begin with a quick summary. Melanomas are an aggressive skin malignancy of melanocytic origin. The condition is typically seen in patients between 50 and 70 years old who present with a pigmented skin lesion with a recent change in shape or size. Diagnosis is made with the biopsy demonstrating melanocytes with marked cellular atypia with invasion into the dermis. Treatment is usually white surgical excision. Now let's get into the episode. In terms of the epidemiology, remember that this is slightly more common in men with the male-to-female ratio of 1.2 to 1. The age of onset is typically between 50 to 70 years old. In terms of the anatomic location, the most common location is the thumb, followed by the great toe, followed by the index finger and more generally, melanomas tend to appear in sun-exposed areas. Risk factors include sun exposure. Remember that UV radiation suppresses skin immunity, induces melanocyte cell division, produces free radicals, and damages melanocyte DNA. Other risk factors include family history, skin characteristics such as blue eyes, fair hair and complexion, and freckling, xerodermopigmentosa, familial atypical mole or melanoma syndrome, also known as FAM syndrome, multiple benign and dysplastic nevi, remember that dysplastic nevi are a precursor to melanoma, and the last risk factor is immunosuppression. Specific types of melanoma to remember include acrolentigenous melanoma, and remember that subungual melanoma is a subtype of acrolentigenous melanoma. In terms of the pathophysiology, melanoma progresses through phases of growth. It may begin as a benign nevus, which may transform into a dysplastic nevus. They may then undergo radial growth phase, followed by vertical growth phase, and ultimately reach metastatic melanoma. Let's quickly review some skin anatomy. Melanocytes are derived from neurocrust cells, and melanocytes are found in the deepest layer of the epidermis, which is separated from the dermis by the basement membrane. Remember that the dermis is then divided into papillary dermis and reticular dermis, and subcutaneous tissue is deep to the reticular dermis. Melanoma can be classified either under the Breslow classification or the Clark classification. The Breslow classification separates melanomas based on whether their thickness is less than 0.75 millimeters, between 0.76 and 1.5 millimeters, 1.51 to 4 millimeters, or greater than 4 millimeters. In the Clark classification, level 1 melanoma involves the epidermis, so it is considered in situ melanoma and there is no invasion. Level 2 is invasion of the papillary dermis. Level 3 invades the papillary dermis up to the papillary reticular interface. Level 4 invades the reticular dermis, and level 5 invades the subcutaneous tissue. Moving on to the presentation, a patient's history will typically include a pigmented lesion with a recent change in shape or size. There may also be nail trauma. Remember that a subungual melanoma renders the nail dystrophic and vulnerable to trauma. Symptoms will include itching or bleeding. On exam, one will note a brown or black pigmented lesion which may ulcerate. There may be extension of a brown or black pigment of the nail bed or nail plate to the cuticle and nail folds. This is referred to as Hutchinson's sign, and melanoma is also characterized by the ABCDEs. This refers to asymmetry, border irregularity, color variation, diameter, remember that less than 6 millimeters is likely to be benign, and elevation and enlargement. In terms of imaging, chest x-ray is indicated as lungs are often the first site of metastasis. An ultrasound is indicated to diagnose lymph node involvement, and a PET or CT scan may be indicated to detect other metastases. In terms of further studies, labs to evaluate include a CBC, 
in AST and ALT due to the risk of liver metastasis, and LDH, which is predictive for poor prognosis. On histology, melanocytes will demonstrate marked cellular atypia, invasion into the dermis, vacuolated cytoplasm, and hyperchromatic nuclei with prominent nucleoli. And in terms of the differential, the differential for melanoma includes nevi, seborrheic keratosis, and basal cell carcinoma. And subungual melanoma may be mistaken for trauma, subungual hematoma, and onychomycosis. In terms of treatment, operative options include a local resection with the 1 cm margin. This is indicated for a lesion that is less than 1 mm thick. Another option is local resection with a 1 to 2 cm margin and sentinel lymph node biopsy. This is indicated for a lesion that is 1 to 2 mm thick. And remember that if the sentinel lymph node biopsy is positive, then one should perform a radical node dissection. Another option is local resection, lymph node dissection, and chemotherapy. This is indicated if there is evidence of metastasis. The last operative option is amputation. This is indicated for subungual melanoma. In terms of the outcomes, remember that a distal amputation with sufficient margins has similar recurrence rates and survival to proximal amputations such as carpal metacarpal and tarsal metatarsal amputations, and the technique may include lymph node dissection and isolated limb perfusion. In terms of prevention, one can prevent melanoma with sunscreen and avoiding sun exposure. Complications include recurrence, which is usually in the regional lymph nodes. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, Remember that depth is the most important prognostic factor. A melanoma that is less than 0.7 millimeters deep has a survival around 96%, whereas one that is more than 4 millimeters deep has a survival around 47%. Poor prognostic factors for melanoma include a deep lesion, male sex, lesions on the neck or scalp, positive lymph nodes or metastases, and ulceration. And also remember that a subungual melanoma has a poor prognosis with a 5-year survival between 40 to 60%. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to melanoma, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 62-year-old patient presents with a brown line on the left ring finger that has increased in size over the last year. He denies any pain associated with this lesion and denies any antecedent trauma to the finger. On exam, there is longitudinal melanonychia of the left ring finger. A biopsy is performed out of concern for what diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Dermatofibrosarcoma Choice 2. Melanoma Choice 3. Bacterial endocarditis Choice 4. Glomus tumor or Choice 5. Epithelioid sarcoma The best answer to this question is Choice 2. Melanoma the patient is presenting with the longitudinal melanonychia, which can be a manifestation of subungual melanoma. Biopsy should be performed to rule out this diagnosis. Longitudinal melanonychia is often a benign condition characterized by a linear brown streak in the nail bed. However, this can represent a malignant subungual melanoma, which is often diagnosed in very late stages due to an initial benign appearance. Lesions with bands greater than 6 mm wide, the involvement of a single nail, bands that are wider proximally, color heterogeneity, blurry lateral borders, and extension of pigment into the adjacent cutaneous folds are suggestive of malignant melanoma. A biopsy should be performed in cases where there is concern for malignancy. In confirmed cases, amputation of the digit, either through the interphalangeal joint or the carbometacarpal joint, is the preferred treatment. The publication by Baran and Ketchijan reviewed the diagnosis and treatment of longitudinal melanonychia. 
The authors emphasize the importance of biopsy as subungual melanoma is often in the differential with clinical examination unable to determine the cause of longitudinal melanonychia. The authors stress the importance of pathological diagnosis following various biopsy techniques. The publication by Meneva et al. reviewed the evaluation and treatment of longitudinal melanonychia. The authors described a higher rate of metastatic disease with melanoma presenting as longitudinal melanonychia due to a prolonged delay to diagnosis. They recommend performing a punch biopsy for distal nail lesions, whereas more proximal lesions are better addressed with matrix shave biopsy, lateral longitudinal excision, midline excision, or on-block excision of all nail tissues. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. A dermatofibrosarcoma presents as a nodular lesion that is sometimes pigmented. It typically occurs on the trunk, neck, and proximal extremities and does not occur as a subungual mass. Choice 3. Bacterial endocarditis can lead to emboli in the nail bed, resulting in splinter hemorrhages. If there is a concern for this diagnosis, an echocardiogram rather than a biopsy should be performed. Choice 4. A glomus tumor is a tumor that results in severe pain and cold intolerance. It can appear as a blue-colored mass. There is no malignant potential for this tumor. Choice 5. An epithelioid sarcoma presents as a large mass with a necrotic center and does not cause discoloration of the nail bed. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 55-year-old man presents with the lesion of his right thumb. He is subsequently diagnosed with a thin subungual acrolentigenous melanoma. The lesion thickness is 0.6 millimeters. Which treatment is recommended to provide the best chance of cure while preserving function? And the answer choices are, choice one, chemotherapy to downsize the tumor, followed by resection with the one to two millimeter margin. Choice two, Mohs micrographic surgery. Choice three, disarticulation at the interphalangeal joint and sentinel lymph node biopsy. Choice four, disarticulation at the metacarpophalangeal joint and sentinel lymph node biopsy. Or choice five, ray amputation, lymph node dissection, and hyperthermic isolated limb perfusion. The best answer to this question is choice three, disarticulation at the interphalangeal joint and sentinel lymph node biopsy. This patient has a thin subungual acrolentigenous melanoma. IP joint disarticulation with sentinel node biopsy will provide the best chance of cure while preserving thumb function. Acrolentigenous melanoma occurs on the palm in the subungual areas, usually the thumb. Depth is the most important prognostic factor for survival. Subungual melanomas tend to present later, be thicker, and be ulcerated. For subungual melanomas, amputation through the proximal phalanx of the thumb and at the level of the PIP joint of a finger is recommended. The publication by Plate et al. reviewed the treatment of malignant tumors of the hand and wrist. They state that the size of the excision margin depends on the thickness of the tumor. On a finger digit, a thin melanoma which is less than 0.76 millimeters can be treated with disarticulation while a thick melanoma greater than 4 millimeters requires a ray resection. For thin melanomas elsewhere on the body, they recommend a 1 to 2 centimeter margin. For thicker melanomas, the margin should be greater than 3 centimeters. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. A 1 to 2 millimeter margin is insufficient for melanoma resection. Thin melanomas require a 1 to 2 centimeter margin. Thick melanomas require more than a 3 centimeter margin. Neoadjuvant chemotherapy for downstaging and downsizing is not used. Choice 2. The use of Mohs surgery in melanoma is controversial. It is accepted treatment for squamous cell carcinoma and basal cell carcinoma. Choices 4 and 5. Distal amputations at the IP joint with sufficient margins have similar recurrence rates in survival to metacarpophalangeal or ray amputations. 
isolated limb perfusion is not indicated. That's all for this review about melanoma. We hope that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session from OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on orthobullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the OrthoBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the OrthoBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets podcast. Thank <laughs> you.